so uh, if somebody would get me Matthew 16 26 uh, Don uh, Dennis get me Matthew 4 8 I need Matthew 13 22 Chris Mark get me Luke 12 29 to 31 John 14 17 Matthias Jake get me John 15 19 Colossians 2 8 uh, Eric Colossians 2 20 uh, to 23 Joel 2 Timothy 4 10 uh, Dave James uh, 4 4 Richard 2 Peter 1 4 somebody here Jake uh, Mick get me 1 John 2 15 to 17 so last week we looked at the question why do you call me Lord and don't do the things that I tell you to do and so the issue was the lordship of Christ and uh, the folly of claiming him as savior without claiming him as Lord. This is a, an error that has come into fashion. Uh, it's probably risen and fallen through the epic of Christianity many, many times because uh, serving the master Jesus is never appealing to the flesh. And so there's always someone who's looking for a, a way around that. However, we saw that that simply will not work with Christianity, and so uh, we, uh, we had to analyze our own relationship to that, our own obedience, our own willingness to do what we hear. Uh, the specific issue was obeying the words of Christ. And so, uh, so we looked at that last week. This week we want to look at another probing question, all of these questions that Jesus asked his disciples and, and his various audiences. Uh, they, none of them were rhetorical. None of them were easily dismissed. They're all probing. They're all uh, annoying. They're all uh, difficult. And so we want to look at another question, Matthew 16, 26. What does a man profit if he his own soul? What does a man profit if he should gain the whole world... And lose his soul. Now, this question confronts one of the three fundamental battles that we face as Christians. We know as Christians we are up against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, so Jesus uh, goes right to the heart of the issue of the world. He squarely faces off uh, and he says, What good is it if you embrace everything, uh, if you embrace the whole world, if you gain the whole world uh, and lose your soul? So the first thing we have to ask is, What does he mean by the world? We need to get a working definition of them. Essentially, we're dealing with materialism. But when we're dealing with materialism, we aren't, we aren't always talking about money. Money is clearly the the uh, easily the most easily diagnosed issue of materialism it's very fundamental a very heart very core issue uh, of materialism the old saying is money makes the world go round or as paul put it to timothy and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and so we're going to look at that and that is the primary issue especially for this generation that is the primary issue of materialism. But uh, there is a larger definition that we have to know and we have to bring into the equation when we're dealing with this question of Jesus. What, what will it avail you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Webster defines materialism as a theory that physical matter is the only or fundamental reality and that all being in processes and phenomenon can be explained as manifestations or results of matter. So when we're talking about materialism, first and foremost, we're talking about being obsessed or focused or uh, taking our bearings from the physical world, from the world of matter, from the world of material. Okay, so when you're talking about materialism, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about living here and now and ignoring there and then. That's, that's, that's the essence of materialism, and that's the broad enough uh, definition to cover all that we want to discuss this morning. Webster also includes in his definition a doctrine that the only or the highest values or objectives lie in material well-being and in the furtherance of material progress as a preoccupation with or stress upon material 
rather than intellectual or spiritual things. And so you look at this, you can see clearly that the bent in the word materialism has to do with material well-being, prosperity, uh, resource, this sort of thing. But it it does have a a broader application. So before you let yourself off the hook, because Jesus never lets us off the hook when he asks us these questions, don't just say, well, I don't have a lot of money, so this isn't my problem. First of all, you don't have to have a lot of money to be obsessed with money. In fact, many people that don't have any money are obsessed with money. And so, uh, but it's larger than money. The issue is larger than money. The issue is what you reference off of as important, what you deem worthy of giving your life, your time, your energy to, what, how you evaluate the success of your living. You know, and if you're drawing all your cues from the material world, from the here and now, uh, then you're missing the point. You're missing the point of Christianity, and you are a practicing materialist. We'll look at that in just a minute. But I want to get some scriptures so we can see uh, uh, how uh, the New Testament referenced the world. What it, uh, get a biblical definition here for the world. Matthew 4, 8. Okay, again, the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So we're talking about wealth, we're talking about power, we're talking about dominion, we're talking about uh, uh, all of the power and uh, rule in the earth. And he, uh, we, uh, is that, was that the whole verse there? And so uh, we know that he was tempting Jesus and said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you the world. I'll give you power. I'll give you rule. I'll give you uh, dominion in the earth. And so, you know, we already know that Jesus had that and uh, it was a waste of breath. But Satan's, uh, you know, Satan's not the sharpest tool in the shed. And so uh, sometimes uh, he's, he's a little redundant. Matthew 13:22. Okay, he who receives the seed amongst thorns is he uh, who hears the word, uh, but he is caught up in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. So there's a little parallelism that's going there. These two are a couplet. They work together. The cares of this world, the concerns of the material realm, and the word of God is choked out of that life by those concerns and those cares or that focus in life. Luke 12, 29 to 31. Okay, he, he sets these two kingdoms uh, uh, in contrast and he says, don't worry, don't seek uh, the things of the world, what you'll eat, what you'll drink. The world looks for that. The world's concerned about that. The world is concerned about its material welfare, but rather seek the kingdom of God. John fourteen seventeen. He says, you receive the spirit of truth which the world cannot receive. And so there's a, uh, there's a contrast in the entire spirit of uh, a person that is in the material world or, or what the world is about or the spirit of a person uh, who's following Jesus. He says, the world cannot even receive the spirit of truth. It, it's a completely different realm, a completely different arena. And so they're, they're set in sharp contrast with each other, the spiritual person versus the material person. And I, I dare say that, that we are all striving to become spiritual people. I don't think that uh, uh, it's an easy thing when you think in those terms, the spirit of truth 
which the world cannot receive. We are people that are submerged in our culture. We live in a material world. It's very, very difficult to to apply spiritual truth and the spirit of truth uh, to every issue in life. And that's the challenge for a Christian. Say, you know what? I'm not going to live by the world's perceptions. It's very difficult to get your mind to lock into that. And to begin to draw your conclusions by the Spirit of Christ and not by the Spirit of the world. In other words, it it, it would astonish you if you were able to step back and look into your life to see how much of the world was still in the hull of your boat. There's a lot of junk still floating around down there. Okay? John 15, 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. We, we begin to see here the, the actual antagonism between the world and the Spirit of Christ. That the world hates you because you're not of the world. That the world is opposed diametrically to the Spirit of Christ. And again, this is why it's very, very difficult to become people of the Spirit of God rather than people of the world. Because there is such hostility to that position. There is such a constant friction and antagonism from the world to those that would live in the light and uh, not live in the darkness. Colossians 2.8 Beware that no one would spoil you and deceive you with philosophies and vain traditions after the rudiments of the world or the fundamentals of the world, the way the world lives, the way the world sees things, and the way God sees things and Jesus sees things are diametrically opposed. Take that in conjunction with verses 20 to 23 of Colossians 2. If you died with Christ from the basic principles, it's just virtually the same word, rudiments, of the world. If you died with Christ to those things. Why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? He's discussing here about the Judaistic laws that deal with the physical and not the, the uh, true issues of the heart. Go ahead. Now, these all concern things, he says, which perish with the using. Think, uh, lock that little thought in the back of your mind, because this is, again, one of the defining issues of the world. The world is temporal. The kingdom of God is eternal. The world is defined by the fact that it's perishing, that it's slipping away. And the things that the Judaizers were focusing on were all things of here and now, you know. How, it's all about uh, this moment and this instant and, uh, uh, you know, washings and ceremony and things that have no eternal value. They simply dealt with the uh, rudiments of here and now. And so he says, these things are perishing. Go ahead. These have an appearance of wisdom and humility and religion. So, so you actually have to be careful here uh, because there starts to be a, almost a meshing of worldliness and faith that gets harder and harder to separate. This looks really good. It looks real legitimate. You know, who can take issue with these, these arguments uh, for holiness and for righteousness? Uh, uh, but he says that the focus is all wrong. And you have to be able to pick through this to be sure. Go ahead. False humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. But they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Very, very interesting when you begin to deal with religious people, how incredibly bound by the flesh they are. And they make a great show. Islam is a perfect example. The Islamic culture is one of the most perverse cultures on the planet. It is rampant with homosexuality, adultery, uh, every kind of sexual immorality that you can imagine is rampant in Islam. And yet on the outside, it's all about holiness and praying five times a day. You know, all these public displays of religion... But you scratch the surface and you find murderers and terrorists. 
You find people who can justify any horror that you can think of all in the name of Allah. Okay? And so, you know, we're supposed to uh, go to bed with the, uh, the, the Muslims and be their buddies and their friends, but uh, they don't want to go to bed with you. They want to kill you. Okay? And so here's a, here's a perfect study, and you can transpose that instantly uh, into Christianity, into most of Christendom, uh, perhaps into our own lives. We can see uh, how many times we use our religion as a badge and refuse to deal with the inner flesh issues. And we, we're proud to be Christians and we're proud to be Bible believers, but, you know, scratch the surface and there's an awful lot that we're indulging that we shouldn't be. Okay, and so this, this is Paul's entire argument. He says, you know what, you can, uh, you can be as religious as you, as you want and you're still a materialist. You're still in the world. And they, these, these men are paying all their attention to the world uh, and not to uh, the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 4.10 For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. You have to know that the world pulls on your affections. That this is not something that you can just, oh, the world, I'm not a worldly man. Oh, no, 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 no. The world every day is pulling on your affections. And there are things in you that resonate with the world. Things in you that go, yeah, I want that. I want to be that. I want to be the CEO. I want to drive a Jaguar. I want to have, uh, uh, you know, a, a 16-year-old wife. I want to do this. Right? Uh, the, the, the things of this world, uh, and uh, they can be defined many, many different ways. Not just money. So don't let yourself off the hook. We're going to look at money because that's central. But not just money. Lots of things in this world constantly pull on you. And say, you know what? Don't you want, don't you want some of this? Don't you want some of this? Okay. And so Demas has forsaken me because he gave into that. The love of this world. The love of this world is what sucked him out of the kingdom of God. James 4.4. 4. Again, we see this hostility. Only this time it's come from the other side. And God says, if you're going to be a friend of the world, you're not my friend. We don't have a relationship if the world is what's going to dictate your lifestyle. 2 Peter 1.4 Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And again, lust is not just a sexual term. Lust is any inordinate desire. And so it says that we've escaped that. We've been freed from that controlling influence in our, our lives. And finally, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I held this one to, to last because it is perhaps the most concise definition of what the Bible means when it says the world. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Okay, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So the world is all about things first, okay? Go ahead. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The world passes away. He that does the will of God abides forever. There's the contrast. So we're talking about the lust of the flesh and all of its appetites and desires, the lust of the eye, the things that we see, the covetousness that grips us, the things that we, uh, we, we see it and we go, I want that. I want that. Immediately it starts to work. This, in essence, is the beginning of the fall of man. They saw that the fruit was good to eat. And they said, I want that. And the pride of life, 
The pride of position, the pride of power, the pride of being recognized, the pride of possession, the pride uh, that manifests itself in so many ways. Uh, 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 John says that this is what the world is all about. It's about what? It's about feeding every craving, responding to every desire, being puffed up. You don't need God. You don't need uh, nobody telling you what to do. All of these things are manifestation. Uh, of the world, the world, materialism, materialism emphasizes here and now. It emphasizes instant gratification, not future reward or deferred success or deferred blessing. It says here and now, I want it and I want it now. It emphasizes what can be seen as opposed to the unseen things of God. It emphasizes creature comforts over sacrifice. Be comfortable. Take care of yourself. And this is all uh, legitimized by security and by stewardship and, and taking care of your family. Be comfortable. Make sure that that's all taken care of uh, uh, and sacrifice goes by the wayside. It emphasizes acquisition instead of liberality. It emphasizes wealth and power as opposed to service and surrender. It emphasizes uh, uh, everything exactly the opposite of what the kingdom of God emphasizes. And when you begin to think these issues through, you can see how strong a pull the world has in our lives. When you just take those statements and begin to think about how that manifests in your life, uh, uh, you can see very, very clearly... uh, how the world uh, works in us. Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, says materialism begins with what we believe, not merely with what we say we believe, not a doctrinal statement, but the philosophy of life which we actually live by. Hence, when any true Christian would deny belief in the philosophical underpinnings of materialism, he couldn't be a Christian if he didn't, He may nonetheless be preoccupied with material rather than spiritual things and therefore, in fact, be a practicing materialist. A pure materialist has no room at all for the spiritual realm. A practicing materialist may say whatever he wishes about the spiritual realm. He may go to church every week. He may serve communion or preach. But if he centers his life around the accumulation of things, he is therefore, despite his most heated denials, a materialist. It's how you live. Okay, Jeff. Well, there's, there's three categories there. Uh, covetousness, the, the, uh, what is it, the pride of the eye? The, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Okay. You, you connected all three of those back to covetousness, but I find that uh, the um, lust of the eyes, for instance, uh-huh. Pride of life. That's where it connects. See, there's a connection uh, with the pride of life. And you said, you said uh, that the Aquarian age is all about the world and lusting for the world. But it's also a concept. The intellectualism is appealing to the pride of life. The conceptualism appeals to the pride of life. And so that's why that's why that definition is so beautiful. Is it covers all three? It covers not just covetousness. It covers everything about the way the world affects us. That's what's so great about that definition, is it doesn't just say, you know, lusting. It talks about this pride issue, and it talks about the flesh and the eye. The, you know, the flesh can't see anything, but it has, it has onboard and hardwired desires that are there from the get-go. 
And they can be conceptual. They kind of bleed into the pride of life. They can also be physical. They kind of bleed into the lust of the eye. So it's a very profound statement when he defines all that is in the world by those three phrases. Because it really does sum up every way that the world affects us. Okay, so uh, the scriptures at length address this issue. But they are perhaps most easily dealt with if we narrow our definition down to the realm of money. In other words, uh, here's something that is so visible and it's so uh, uh, tangible. It, it, it's so tactile. You can, you can instantly identify it. And so we can look at the issue of money and we can uh, extend that into other areas, but we're going to kind of tailor it down a little bit now. Because there is something that Jesus says that would imply that, uh, again, uh, he's thinking in terms of this concept of acquisition and selfishness. Okay? Because he talks about gaining the world or acquiring the world. And the context helps helps us to identify it a little bit too. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. But I want to look at just a few of the warnings in the scriptures uh, that uh, that address this specifically. So somebody get me Joshua 7, 20 and 21. Uh, Aaron, somebody get me Judges 16, 5 and 6. Uh, Casey, 2 Kings 5, 20. Eric, Corey, get me Jeremiah 2, 8. Over here, Acts 5, 1 to 4. Mike, Jeff, get me Matthew 26, 14 to 16. Andrew, get me Proverbs 28, 20. Ezekiel uh, 7, 19. Dennis, Ezekiel 16, 49. Chad, Matthew 19, 22. Mark, Luke 12, 15. Don, Colossians 3, 5. Rod, James 4, 1 to 3. Uh, Jake and James 1, 9 to 11. Hoyt. Okay, the scriptures uh, give us examples of the way this works through in life. Joshua 7, 20 and 21. Okay, we're familiar with the story. They've gone up against Jericho, had a wonderful victory, uh, and this is God's tithe city. He said, don't take any of the spoils. But Ai saw the gold. He saw the silver. The lust of the eye gripped him. He grabbed those for himself. Uh, They go up against Ai. They're trounced. And so uh, God speaks to Joshua and says, the problem is there's sin in the camp. He begins to narrow it down, finally comes down to Ai, or Achan rather, and Achan says, yeah, I did it. I took what I shouldn't have taken, I took what was God's, and I took it for myself because I saw it and I wanted it. Okay, so we can apply that across the board because that's the way the world works on us is it begins to appeal to these desires. We begin to reach in and take things that belong to God. We can talk about time, we can talk about money, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. There are things that should be consecrated to God that we won't consecrate to Him. Because we're too much in this world. Judges 16, 5 and 6. This whole story is all about being trapped in the world. And Samson has uh, gone after this hoochie mama, and uh, uh, and uh, so they're a thing. It's his main squeeze, and, and so the the Philistines come up to her and say, "You tell us how we can get at this guy, and we'll pay you eleven hundred bucks." Let me warn you guys about hoochie mamas. They don't care about you, but they like your money. And so all it takes for them to sway her affections away from Samson and his, uh, you know, buns of steel. And uh, 
move him off of that and move him into uh, uh, move her into betrayal uh, is a little bit of money, just a little bit of wealth, a little bit of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that's something. What a story! And, and the insanity of it is, she says to Samson, "How can I bind you and afflict you?" And he goes, "Oh, well, let me think." <laughs> You know, we're talking about all kinds of people in this story that are totally trapped uh, by the things of this world. Okay? And they're willing to sell themselves down the river for things of this world. Uh, 2 Kings 5.20 But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared name in his spirit, and not receiving in his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So here is the, uh, uh, Elijah has healed uh, uh, the Syrian of leprosy, and so uh, Naaman, and so uh, he's offered, Naaman's offered to give him gold, silver, and clothes, and uh, uh, Elijah says, no, this, this was about God, this wasn't about uh, me enlarging myself, go your way, and here's Gehazi, Elijah's disciple, and he says, man, he just blew a perfect opportunity, and I'm going to get what he didn't want. And there's two different sets of affections and desires. And I, I like this uh, notion that he, he didn't just want the gold and silver, he wanted the clothes too. Clothes are an interesting thing, aren't they? It's amazing how much of our culture is uh, all about clothes. I, was, I don't remember where I was, but it was the day that they released a new issue of Michael Jordan sneakers. Nike did. And these came in uh, an actual Halliburton aluminum case. And it seems to me that they were like 500 bucks a pop. They might have been more than that. I don't remember exactly. But, it, you know, they'd only produced a limited stock of these Michael Jordan sneakers. Now, this is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. 500 bucks for a pair of sneakers. They, uh, they interviewed this one guy who was going to buy a pair, and they asked him, are you going to wear them? He said, no, I'm going to keep them under my bed. <laughs> Not sneakers you can't wear. You know, sneakers, I grew up, sneakers were what you wore when you weren't going to school or church. They were for knocking around. They were for getting tore up. They were for getting in brawls, you know. There's nothing special about sneakers. Now your entire personality is defined by the sneakers you wear. Adidas. Phyllis, what a loser. Oh, you're a Nike guy, huh? Yeah. Now, the guy's, guy could be a complete moron, but he's got Nikes, you know? So that makes him something. This is a generation that put all their labels on the outside of their clothes. You know, that's how I knew I had my shirt on wrong. I could see my label. It's like, whoa, got to do something about that. And now it's like, if you don't see the label, you, know, you, you may not have them on wrong, but you don't have the right clothes. And this defines you. This defines your worth. This defines your value. And so it, it is stunning to me how much clothing has become the driving force of our culture. You know, we've got the uh, FUBAR, FUBU, FUBU. Whatever that stuff is, for us, by us, FUBU. So this originally started as a black protest. This is our clothes. We're sick of you white man clothes. We want black clothes. And so now we FUBU, for us, by us, and the next thing you know, all the whites are wearing them. That must, that must infuriate them. You see all these uh, Hollywood guys walking around with Malcolm X hats on, you know? It's like, what are you trying to say? Because none of these people have anything to do with civil rights or, or the black movement or anything. They just like the clothes. And it makes them cool. It makes them gangsta. It makes them hip. It makes them city. You know, here's people running around Chino. <laughs> this is great. I was talking to... <laughs> I was talking to... I was talking to this guy. He'd moved to Chino, and he's going to open a, a clothing store with all of these, uh, you know, uh, FUBU clothes and stuff. And it's like, in Chino? Dude, we're talking straw hats. We're talking poop kickers. We're talking big belt buckles. You know, and here you are, you know, you're walking around in these, these big coats in Chino, man. Because I'm a bad city guy. Because I got this FUBU stuff on. 
This is an amazing thing. You say, what kind of lunacy would possess you to do that? And it all comes down to the pride of life in the world. And we see it in church. We see it anywhere you go. It's amazing what a focus there is on the image. The image. You know, they, they make... They make suits, hand-sewn suits that start at five grand. What do you do with a $5,000 suit? I'd be scared to put it on. The day I wore it, some kid would puke on it. It's insane to me to even think about that. I get, I get vexed going out and buying clothes, just, just normal clothes. I'm just talking, a pair of jeans disturbs me. Why should I pay stinking 30 bucks for a pair of jeans? I go to Costco and get them for 12. You know what I'm talking about? But, but we, want that, we want that pocket with that funny design, and that's very important. Okay, I've gone on long enough. Everybody's going to come in a burlap bag tonight. You know? <laughs> Jeremiah 2.8. And what was that last statement? And walked after things that do not profit. He's talking now about the priest class. And he says, but they're not doing what they need to be doing. They walk after things that do not profit. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about being in the world. And that's exactly what Jesus said. What profit? What good is it to get everything this world has and lose your soul? You are walking after things that do not profit. Acts 5, 1 to 4. The interesting thing about this is, it, uh, is what Peter addresses is appearance. He says, you know, the money was yours. You didn't, have to, you didn't have to give anything if you didn't want to. He says, God wouldn't have judged you for that. But what the issue here is appearance. You're all about appearance, appearing to be liberal, appearing to be Christian, appearing to be motivated, you know? How many people, and uh, hopefully not too many in this church, but uh, I grew up in a church where people went to church simply because it was good for business. It was an appearance that needed to be made. Because that was the, in that generation, it meant something. It doesn't mean anything anymore, so they don't even bother with appearances. But they all went to church, and they all sat under whatever preaching was going on, not because they had any interest in it, but because of what people would think about them. Uh, Matthew 26, 14 to 16. And so what would it take for you to betray Jesus? 16 pieces of silver for... Or 32 pieces, 30 pieces of silver. I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing too well with numbers here this morning, apparently. 30 pieces of silver for Judas. What is it for you? A big screen TV? What do you betray Jesus for? Job promotion? Chicky babe? Some guy? You know? You, you know, your biological clock is ticking and you, you got to have a husband. What do you betray Jesus for? What in this world will you sell out for? What in this world will you backslide for? Self-indulgence, pity, party, bitterness. Uh, what is it in the world that you want to entertain that you'll sell Jesus out for? You know, somebody has said we all have our price. And that's a scary thought. Because I think many of us have a price that we haven't even pondered. It hasn't come our way. But if we do have a price, it will. 
Sooner or later, it will. The devil will show up and, and, uh, and you'll say, well, what, what do you give me? I'll give you this. Oh, that looks good. I'll do that. We are warned again and again about the influence and the draw and the pull of money on our lives. Proverbs 28, 20. He who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. You get caught up in the world, it's going to come back on you. Ezekiel 7.19 They will throw their silver into the streets, and their gold will be like refuse. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They will not satisfy their souls, nor fill their stomachs, because it became their stumbling block of iniquity. It became their stumbling block of iniquity. Ezekiel is prophesying judgment. And he's saying, you know what? When it comes down, all of your gold and silver will be worthless to you. All the things that you got hung up on will be worthless to you. And they actually will, be, will have become your stumbling block. They will be the very thing that destroys your life. Ezekiel 16:49. She and her daughter had what? Abundance of food. No, before that. Uh, pride. pride. Abundance of food and? Uh, abundance, of abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor. Okay, he says this is the sin of Sodom. He said uh, she and her sister had pride. Back to that again. Conceptual problems. Abundance of food, material wealth. Abundance of idleness. That's an interesting one to throw into the mix. You know, this is uh, Saturday. This is Saturday, dude. It's Saturday. I don't get up before noon on Saturday. This is Saturday. You know, most of the world, Saturday is just like Friday. And Sunday is just like Saturday. And Monday is just like Sunday. Most of the world lives every day just for the food of that day. They don't have. They can't afford to be idle. We are a nation who believes it is our God-given right to be idle. We believe idleness is part of God's prosperity and blessing on our life. We can afford recreation. We can afford, a, you know, a boat down on Lake Powell and going fishing and doing all these things. We can afford this. In fact, we live to retire. I can't wait. Till I can get rid of this work and just be a lazy slob. Do what I want to do. Just, just hang out. You know, the first year after I quit the post office, I'm just going to fish. We live for that. People's entire life is about what they're going to do when they can stop working. When they can be idle. And God says, this is Sodom's sin. This is, this is one of my major gripes with Sodom uh, is this, this idleness because there are so many things that, that God has called us to accomplish. My problem is 24 hours is like nowhere near enough. My big complaint is not, you know, God, I don't have enough spare time. It's like, God, I don't have any time at all, period, to get anything done. And there's so much to do, beloved. The world is going to hell in a handbag, and we're, we're thinking about vacation. Listen, there's nothing wrong with vacation. Don't, don't misquote me. I, you know, I can feel that one. Because oh, some of you already got Disneyland on the calendar. and so uh, I, There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with taking your vacation or something like that. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or anything like that. But, but I want you to see just how culturally... We are steeped in these things. And how, how important they really are to us and how problematic that becomes. He says they've got this uh, abundance of idleness and, and they would not feed or have compassion on those who are in trouble. There's nothing in them that was concerned about others, which is the inevitable consequence of materialism. Because the truth of the matter is, if, if all that matters is here and now, what's the difference? I don't have to worry about my brother's soul because it's all about here and now. They're no different than a cat or a cow or a rock. It's all material. It's all here and now. They have no eternal soul. There is nothing eternal I have to worry about. That's the, that's the heart of a materialist. 
They have no compassion, no love, no concern for anyone but themselves. Matthew 19, 22. Okay, when the young man was challenged to leave everything that he had and follow Jesus, he went away sorrowful because he, had, he was too much in this world. That's the warning. That's the implicit warning of the world. Luke 12, 15. And Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Take heed, beware of covetousness, because a man's life does not consist of what he possesses. That does not define him. That is not who he really is. In fact, that has nothing to do with reality. Colossians 3.5 Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Mortify these affections which are in you in the earth. Uh, and he, he talks about uh, you know desire, covetousness, uh, inordinate affections, all of the things that we've been talking about this morning. James 4.1-3 From whence comes war and disturbances and all of the conflict that we experience in life? Don't they come from unsatisfied driving desires and compulsions that are within you? Don't, isn't it the war in you that creates the war outside of you? Isn't it the envy and the desire and the lust and the things that you want so that you can consume it upon yourself? He said, isn't that where all the problems start? Isn't that really where it all begins? It all begins because you've put yourself in the center of the universe and your desires have been enthroned. And this is why you have so many problems. James 1, 9 to 11. Everything that we're chasing in this world is going, to, is going to vanish and has no value. And if we can come to grips with that perception, we've come a long way to resolving the issue. But in essence, Jesus gives us a clue about resolving the issue in, uh, in the context of the question. And I want to look at this question again in its context. Somebody give me Luke 9, 23 to 26. Uh, Richard, and just read that for us real quick, because it's very interesting to me that this statement, what does it avail a man, or what does a man gain, uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? This statement wasn't made in the context of a discussion of money or greed or anything like that. Listen to the context of this statement. I'm drawing it out of Luke. The same context is in all the Gospels with just uh, slight changes, uh, but, but pretty much this sums it up. Luke 9, 23 to 26. If any man, uh, now uh, let me back you up just a little bit even before that, is this whole conversation started when Peter told Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. And he said, get behind me. And he's talking about his own death and resurrection. Then he starts to speak to his disciples. and He says, if any man's going to come after me, he also is going to have to pick up his cross. He's going to have to deny himself and he's going to have to follow me. And if he seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. Go ahead. What is a man gain, uh, uh, advantaged if he gains the whole world and his soul is cast away? Whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed. When he comes uh, in his glory and in his Father's glory and accompany the angels. And so he's talking about eternity. He's talking about a future Reward for all that we do. Okay, so the context of this whole discussion was self-death. And he says that the, the polar opposite 
of surrendering your life to God, laying your life down, is to be caught up in the things of the world. And that is the inevitable result of half-baked discipleship, is that you will end up in love with the world and out of love with Jesus. You can't avoid that. He says the only way you're going to beat this is dying on the cross. You have to put yourself aside. You have to put your own desires aside because that's what fuels all this. You have to put that aside and make the word and the will of God your primary concern. Casey. Absolutely. And then when God said no, then they said, oh, well, then we'll go in and take it. And so absolutely, there's a breakdown in our trust in God in this. Dennis. So Denny's stocks and bonds are all kingdom stocks and bonds. And so the, he's saying his family's he's back there for Christmas. They're all grilling him on his stock portfolio. Well, he hasn't been investing in the stock market. He's been investing in the kingdom. Okay? And he said that, that it's essential that we have an eternal perspective if we're going to overcome this. And this is what Jesus is implying. He's saying you've got to die to self now so that when Jesus comes in all his glory and judges and you're there on the threshold of eternity, you've made the right investments with your life. And you aren't part of this world. You're ready to get out of here. Okay, other thoughts? Yeah, Adam. Okay, so you can see very clearly, Adam says we have a sense of entitlement, and this is all mine, my money, my time, my energy. And you can see how what Jesus says, die to self, pick up your cross, follow me, is the antidote for that mentality. Whereas if you embrace that mentality, then all you're going to want is more for you. But if you've died to self, then we've put the nail in the coffin on this issue. That's all we got time for. We're out of here. Pick it up next week.